Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. You have your Bibles with you and invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. Again in chapter 1 at verse 10. We'll read just four verses and then we're going over to the book of Revelation to chapter 3 for our text at that point. John chapter 1, at verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then turn with me to the book of Revelation for our text to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 20. We find these words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Let's unite together in prayer. We thank thee, our Father, for a time of sharing together in your word. We would pray that the power of your spirit would be in our midst to speak to our hearts. Lord, for any who may not have acknowledged you publicly, to receive you as the Lord and Savior, we would pray that you might use in some way this service today to that end. There would be a willingness on the part of someone to step out and acknowledge that they are joining the ranks of those who acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's somewhat ironic, ironic when you think about it. If you really put your mind to it, that Jesus was the creator of the world. And he came to the world. And the world 
world didn't even know. Wouldn't accept him. Absolutely rejected him when he came. I know that you, have, like I, have done on many occasions, have heard a knock at the door. And unless you're expecting someone, the first question is, I wonder who that is. And without opening the door, if you can do so, you will go to a window and pull back the curtain and take a peek. And then what you do from that point is based upon who you see. Who the person is that's standing there. Whether or not you want to invite them in, to talk with them, or whether you want to pretend you're not home. Have any of you ever pretended you're not home? Yeah, we all have, have we not? I used to have a lot of trouble going visiting as a pastor, seeing somebody pull back the curtain just a pad on the side window not knowing that I saw them do it, and then never answer the door. They saw a person that they did not want to see, at least on that occasion, on that day, and therefore pretended that they weren't home. Salesmen go through this all the time. And we all have a tendency to react according to the person that is standing there. But you've also had the experience, no doubt, of expecting someone. And you rush to the door and start to say, well, I'm glad. And then it's not the person you thought. And you stop in mid-sentence and regret the fact that you were so hasty in answering the door and would rather have kept it closed but now it was open now what do you do this is the treatment that jesus gets in that people in their hearts and soul have a tendency to sort of take a sneaking look before deciding as to what their response will be to this person standing there. And so your reaction is in relationship to how you perceive the person Jesus in relationship to your life. While Jesus was upon earth, he was treated in many different ways. Early on in his life, they thought of him as the boy genius, the one who was going to be the great teacher, the great preacher, the great prophet of their land. But when he made this proclamation that he was the one of whom the scripture spoke, they attempted to throw him over a cliff and kill him. 
when he attempted to enter into Jerusalem on the day that we call the triumphal entry, they began to shout and hail him as king, as Messiah, only to find that seven days later the same group were shouting crucify him. For they had now begun to perceive him in a different way. Sheila's still having a little trouble reading my writing, and so she made an error. Not, it was mine, I'm sure, and not hers, in that the title that I want to use this morning is How Do You Treat Him? The word treat. Instead, I think she has the word trust. It's just simply a case of her not being able to read my writing yet. I want to ask us this morning, how do we treat Jesus? And I want to suggest six possible ways that we might treat him. First of all, I think that we might consider him as an intruder. That's the way I think of some people who knocks on my door and I open the door and they somehow or other uh, suggest to me that I ought to invite them into the house. And I do it resentingly at times, as you no doubt have done, and really wished that I hadn't opened the door and given them an opportunity because I perceive of them as being unwelcome and I don't really want them there. Jesus can be treated that way. For the text says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And how we're going to react to him is based upon what we want out of him or from him. Some of you ladies, when there is a knock at the door that is unexpected, began immediately straightening up the house, putting everything in its proper place so that at least looks like it's in good shape and you smooth out your apron and run it. At least they do that on television. You know how that's done. Because you want that which you are uh, about to invite someone into, you want yourself and you want your house to be uh, presentable. If it is not, you're uncomfortable and feel like that you're being intruded upon. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, but he will never force himself into the house. He makes the opportunity available. And I don't want him in, somebody might say, because my house is not acceptable. Here comes probably the first mistake that the non-Christian makes when he thinks about becoming a Christian is I must straighten up the house. But it will never happen. Because the house can never be perfectly straight. In the minds of the unsaved, 
There is the thought, I must get everything in ship shape and then I will become a Christian. But the opposite needs to take place. And that is a person must invite Jesus Christ into his dirty house and allow him to make it presentable and acceptable to God. People don't understand that. We cannot become moral enough, nor good enough, nor righteous enough, nor attend church enough, or all of those things to make ourselves acceptable. And so into our dirty house, sometimes we might think of Jesus as being an intruder, and we resent his presence there, but Jesus will never come in unless you ask him to. He will, however, Stand at the door and knock. Secondly, we might conceive of him as a thief. That is, as a person who is going to take away from us some things that we cherish. If we invite Jesus into our lives, then we conclude there must be some things that go out of our life, and those things I don't want to lose. I want to hold on to them. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. You remember back in those days that they brought all their sheep into an enclosure and the shepherd himself laid his body across the only door there was to prevent robbers or wild animals from getting in to the fold. Jesus said that anybody that tries to get into that fold any other way except through me is a thief or a robber. There are lots of thieves and robbers in this world, but Jesus Christ is the door. He never will climb over the wall into your life. He will come through the door and the door only, and it is only because you and I opened the door. Never will he force his way in. Jesus does not come to take away. He comes to give. And I have had many people say to me that if I become a Christian, that I'm going to reduce my life to a dull, drab existence. The fun will all be gone. There will be no more excitement. I have always been full of life, and now I'm going to have to resign myself as to being drab, straight-laced, never smile, and watch the world have fun, and I can't have any anymore. That's the concept of lots of non-Christian people, that being a Christian isn't fun. Well, I know a whole bunch of Christian people that had fun yesterday, even in the rain and the mud and all those things. We had fun. Life for the Christian is not reduced to that level at all. So never forget a man that was in my church in Columbus, Indiana. He became one of the he was one of the people I baptized. In that particular church, in a three-year period, I baptized a little over a hundred people. And I'll never forget him. He was 
close to 60. There are very few people at the age of 60 or over that ever become a Christian. The older a person gets, the less likely it is they will ever accept Jesus Christ. That's why it's very important that we deal with young people and lead them to the Lord. That's why it's very valuable that we support this little girl, Sam, that we're going to baptize tonight. She is only, I think, 13. All right? That's the age when they can be brought into the fold and molded so well into the Christian life. But 50, 60, 70, 80, you're starting down the road of diminishing returns. But this man had accepted the Lord, even against the odds. And I remember him standing up in one service to make a testimony. His name was Enoch Coop. Never forget his name, nor what he said. He's dead now. He died just a few years after he became a Christian. He said, I thought all my life that to become a Christian meant that I had to give up everything that I had thought of value. And he said, I didn't realize what I was going to get as a Christian. And he went on to talk about all that he had received from the Lord, the joy and the blessings and the goodness and the excitement that he had in his life. Because he was a Christian, the good things that Christ offers so far outshadows these seemingly good things that we think we must have in life that as a Christian, those things grow dull in value and the things of Christ grow more important every day. At least I found it that way. Have, not, have you found it that way? That's the way it certainly ought to work. Jesus is not one who comes to take away. He's one who comes to give. And the most important thing that he will ever give is eternal life. Thirdly, some people perceive of him as sort of being a policeman who's out looking for a fugitive from justice. Some people identify God as a power way up there who is looking down with vengeance, seeing where he might find somebody doing wrong in order that he might punish that person. Now, make no mistake about it. Those of us who are Christian will be punished for our unfaithfulness to God. There is no question that the scripture teaches that. If we are a wayward child, we will be treated as a wayward child and we will receive the lashes that a wayward child ought to receive. This is the way life is. When our children are wayward, we punish. And this nonsense that a lot of people are teaching today is you don't punish kids is absolutely non-scriptural. The scripture says, spare the rod and spoil the child, and that's exactly what happens. You do not, if you do not teach and practice discipline within the home, you're going to find kids that are wayward. There is a discipline expected and required in, in our family life, and God exercises that kind of discipline. And he will lay on the stripes, and most of us, if not all of us, have experienced 
the punishment that God places upon us as his child. But he is doing it as a loving father, not as a mean punisher of evil. He does it to make us more like him. And after it's over, most of the time at least, we can say that we're glad that he did it. I'm glad that my father punished me. I remember the willow hoops around my bare legs when I wore those little old short pants back when I was a uh, pre-teenager. And I hated that willow tree with a passion because I always had to go out and cut the, the, the whip off of it to be used. And if I didn't bring back a good enough one, I went back and got them until I got one that he could use. And I can still dance pretty good to that tune as they landed on my bare legs. And I would thank him today for that because that was needed in my life to bring me up the way I ought to go. And I do not perceive that he was doing it out of meanness. He was doing it out of love. And so does God. But some people perceive of God as somebody who is looking me and is going to grab somebody in order that he might punish. Jesus came to give life and abundant life. John 3.16 that we all know so well says it very clearly and sums it up that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a God of love, not a God that is out there looking for a fugitive. Fourthly, some people perceive Jesus as a beggar, as though he's asking you to give him something. Listen, there's only one thing that the Lord Jesus wants from you and me, and that's our life, our love. He wants our devotion. He wants not to beg from us, drain off from us, take away from what we have, but he wants rather to give to us. The text again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice, then he says, and we'll open the door. I will come in. And what's he going to do there? And he concludes, and sup with him and he with me. Have supper with him. Have that kind of a communion, that kind of a relationship. Many people are very uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. Because they are expecting him to ask more than they're willing to give. When the very opposite is true, is Jesus is there to give. And asks only our love in return. Fifthly, some people might see him as a bully. But we've already made reference to the fact that he will stand at the door and knock. He will never come in uninvited. Scripture says, they that gladly received him, to them gave he eternal life. If you're not a Christian, there's only one way that you can become one. And 
that is to repent of your sin and receive as a free gift with no strings attached what God has to offer. And you know that's so simple that people think there's got to be a catch to it. Well, we find no catch in the Scripture. Acknowledge one's sinfulness and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lastly, some people perceive Jesus as a funeral director. What do I mean by that? Do you know that there is one person that I don't really want to have a business dealing with, and that's the funeral director. I can put that off, just, just, just put it off and put it off. And I have noticed, of course, being a pastor, I would, that many people die without ever having planned anything about their funeral. And the family must make all the plans after the fact. It's shocking that I have had to deal with people who have to scurry to find a plot somewhere to bury their loved one because there was never any plans made. They don't know uh, what funeral home to use, and they have to look for a preacher. I had a fellow call me one time, and years ago, and say, Preacher, I'm desperate. I can't find anybody to preach my mother's funeral. Will you do it? Please, will you do it? He had gone through several preachers and everyone had turned him down. Now I was the last resort. He could, he, I was last one he knew. He'd never been to my church. But he had to have somebody preach the funeral. Why did he go through this? Because there was no planning ahead of time, and evidently the family never went to church. And he said, now before you answer, I'm going to tell you, we're going to pay you. And he told me what they were going to pay. It was $50. I'll never forget that. At that point in time, that was big money. And I said, it makes no difference about the money. I don't care. You need somebody. I'm glad to do it. I drove. I don't know, three hours to Indianapolis, where the funeral was to be held, and rode several hours to a cemetery somewhere. I spent, I think, 16 hours that day conducting that funeral, simply because there had been no plans made. But that simply, I say that to simply say, listen, everybody dies, and everybody needs plans for their physical body to be disposed of. But listen, everybody needs a plan for their spiritual life as well. You see, we don't cease existing when we go to the grave. The soul lives on. Is there a plan for its existence beyond this life? Where is it going to go? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to be? Some people want to go down to the wire and say, I will deal with Jesus Christ in the last moment of life. And to this very day, those people in those last moments of life do not think about Jesus. They cannot possibly come to that point in their life of accepting Christ. You do, but not many. 
If you're thinking of the church, or if you're thinking of Christ, or of God, simply as being a fire escape, that is to keep out of hell, you might discover it didn't work. The way that we must deal with Jesus is to receive him while he's talking to us, while he's standing at the door and knocking. That's why we say continually it's important for you, if you're not a Christian, to get up out of your seat during the worship service to put intent in, into your mind and heart and make your feet carry that decision. Jesus has a lot to offer. Man is turning him down by considering him to be an unwelcomed intruder at his front door. How do you see him? How do you perceive of that person who stands at the door and knocks? You don't have to open the door. And even when you open the door, he will come in only when you invite him. Will you do it this morning? How do you treat Jesus? As an intruder? A thief? Like a policeman? As a beggar wanting something from you? As a bully who's going to work his way in? or simply as a funeral director. I would suggest to you that you want to see Jesus as the loving Son of God who gave his life on the cross, loved you enough to die for him. I believe he did that for me. Perhaps he's done that for everyone here already. He has done it. But whether or not you have received him in that light. How do you treat Jesus? Won't you treat him this morning as your Savior? And make a decision for him? You know, stand and sing. Our invitation him, as we do it, to step out of your seat. You have a decision to make. If you want to become a part of our church in any way, you do that. But if you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's a good day to do it. Tonight we're going to have a baptizing. The water's ready. Join with this little girl. You should get out of your seat and come down here and say, I want to receive the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Will you do it? Our Father, we pray that you will speak to every heart now. To every soul that has a need. That not one would leave this sanctuary without having dealt with Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.